Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. Hello. Thank you, everyone's attention. Yes. Hello, Patrick. Hey, pretty good so far. Maybe it's because you're not a whole room of attorneys like I'm used to dealing with. So everybody actually quieted down. Um, I just want to thank everybody for joining us. I'm Jeff Chan. I'm the president of the North Orange County Bar Association. We're the organization that's putting on the event tonight. I want to thank each of the candidates to be, for being here with us, because without all of you, obviously, this would not be possible. Um, as many of you know, this is um, tonight is the only debate I know that's going to have for all four candidates present. So, again, I want to thank you guys for being here. I also want to thank some dignitaries we have here tonight. I want to thank Commissioner Joe Dane. He was here, and he was here early enough that he was able to help us by drawing names by lot for the order that will begin opening statements and closing. So thank you very much, Commissioner Dane. We have uh, Judge Rogan present in the house. Thank you for joining us. We have Judge Nick Thompson in the house. Thanks for joining us. I see Jack Ferg Judge Ferguson is here. I know that Judge Golnick is here. Judge Akkari is here. Judge Gordon is here. Judge Valle is here. And I want to thank all of you for being here. Who did I? And then all Judge Waller is here. But most importantly of all of you judges, so you guys might think you're special, is I want to thank Judge Margaret Anderson yeah. and Tyler for being in the house. Okay? So the rest of you were just like, you know, second-rate VIPs. But Judge Anderson, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I also want to thank um, uh, Dave Obar for being here. He is the head of the Anaheim City Attorney's Office. Um, we have uh, Deputy District Attorney or Senior Deputy District Attorney Rick Zimmer from the North Justice Center. He is our supervising DA for the North Justice Center. We also have the supervising DA for the Central Justice Center, Paul Chrysopoulos. Thank you for joining us. And then I want to recognize um, Sunny Park. She's currently the mayor of Plano Park and she's running for. Thank you. Um, um, Sunny Park is here and she's running for Orange County Supervisor of the 4th District, which is the district that encompasses Fullerton. So I want to thank Sunny for being here. Where are you? Thank you so much for joining us. I also understand that newly appointed Judge Marshak is here. I don't know. That's who you are. Okay. I was introduced to her earlier, but of course I just don't put two and two together. So thank you so much for joining us and congratulations. <clears throat> now the most important part of NAPA, other than its members, is our sponsors. And our sponsors are the ones that let us put on events like this free of charge. Our sponsors are the reasons that you guys have a hosted um, just soft drinks tonight and the reason that you guys have a hosted appetizers. So I want to say thank you to our sponsors. Please reserve your applause to the end. We have Northbound Treatment Services with Dustin Helvig. We have Cars and Newby, Southern California Private Investigators. We have Insight Psychology and Addiction with Dr. Stephanie Heron, who is here with us tonight. Thank you, Dr. Heron. We have Nancy Clark Alternative Sensing Programs, Nancy Clark and Winter McDaniels, and I know Nancy is here with us tonight. Thank you, Nancy, for being here. 
Oh, there she is. You're supposed to be over by Jody Anderson. That's where I was looking. Okay. Um, I want to thank Steve, Steve Goodman, Bail Bonds, Steve Goodman. I want to thank the most program is Suzette Casillas. I also want to take a moment to be able to address her former business partner, Dean Stepper. Um, Dean Stepper passed away last week after a, a long battle with cancer. I just want you to understand, Dean was a wonderful person. He was a caring person. He used his own efforts of sobriety to help guide so many, so many others get to the road of recovery. Dean was a maverick in bringing and organizing recovery to the courts, residential treatment, and using modern technology such as SCRAM, and creating the MOST program, which as far as I know, was the first modality of its type for continuous outpatient monitored treatment. Dean's work has affected countless number of individuals to improve the quality of their own lives, their individuals, friends, and family members. And Dean, you will be missed. You will be, continue to be loved and in our hearts. But thank you very much. I want to thank Premier Bail Bonds, Sean Cook, he's president with us. I want to thank EMS and the Option Program. We have Al Martinez and Jason Guevara that are both here tonight. Of course, I can't find anybody. Guevara, Guevara, come on. We have Breezy's Insurance with Chris Ballou and Jared Mahoney. I just want to just briefly go over our upcoming meetings. On May 25th, we have Attorney Marlon Stapleton is going to be talking on trial tactics, techniques, strategies, and professionalism in the courtroom. That will be back at our normal meeting spot, which is at the Matador Cantina, and that is going to be for uh, you know attorneys only and members only. But we'll be back at Matador on May 25th. June 22nd, we'll be back at Matador again. Attorney Julie Swain is going to be speaking on jury selection techniques. And then June 27th is what all you guys want to hear about, which is going to be the summer soiree. Yeah. So that's where we're at for now. Those are the things that we have planned. I also wanted to update you briefly. I'm losing board members left and right, and so I think I'm going to have to get a cease and desist order from one of the judges over there because Olga Giller, former um, deputy public defender, was uh, appointed to be a commissioner of the Superior Court, so she's now left the board. So we've lost a great board member and we've gained a terrific uh, commis um, uh, commissioner. Also, Judge Joanne Ludowicki, who was our former um, Judge of the Year, I um, want to congratulate her on her appointment to the Court of Appeals. Also, as far as VIPs, I forgot to announce Judge Jamie Spitzer. Thank you very much for being here. Um, so, with all that being said, and with uh, me leaving, uh, having board members leave, we have, four, we have, I think, you know, five board seats that are going to be open. So, if you want to leave nominations at the front desk, um, uh, for yourself or anybody else for the board. We're going to have five board seats open. Um, I'd really like to be able to vote for those on May 25th, but I'm not sure if we'll be able to do that. Um, but we're going to have five seats open. Now, I want to make a few disclosures. Some of you may or may not be aware, but one of the candidates' teams had requested that I was going to be re to be replaced as moderator at the event due to the fact that I have contributed an average of about $800 a year to Todd Spitzer and his various election campaigns since about 2002. Um, Todd's ran for Reyes School Board back in 1992, I think. Orange County Board of Supervisors, California State Assembly, he was back at the Orange County Board of Supervisors, and finally the Orange County District Attorney's Office. And I believe that I've given him a maximum, excuse me, maximum contribution for this cycle. 
And that taught while working in the DA's office in 1992. Um, I was a groomsman in his wedding. And I wanted to let you know that I consider him to be a friend. Um, unfortunately, we don't get to socialize much together, and I can't quite honestly recall last time we got to do that. Um, as far as that was also mentioned and discussed that I would contribute to Orange County Supervisor Andrew Doe's campaign, that's true. I met Andrew Doe when he was a public defender at the public defender's office when I was working with him there. He was a mentor of mine there. Last time I recall socializing with him was pre-coded because we were at a food concert at the, well, I still want to call it the pond. You guys can call it the Honda Center if you want. Um, but that's what it is. Um, I did ask that the board, when this was pointed out though, I did ask that the board um, consider finding a replacement because we wanted the appearance of uh, all propriety. Um, we were not able to do so on the short date, on the short notice, although we did try. But I will also tell you that most of the board will tell you that they refer to me as the organization's left winger, and I'm probably the only Democrat in Orange County. So you really get quite a mixed bag with me. Okay. Although we've decided to do this, and I'm going to continue to moderate it, I want to let you know that we did look through all of the rules that we have for the debate. The only rule that was going to allow for any discretion for the moderator was that there was a rule that would allow the moderator would be able to add or delete small amounts of additional time or decreased time if necessary to answer a question and the answer remained on topic. If the answer went off topic, I would have been allowed to delete time. In order to assure that there's no abuse of discretion, I recommend to the board and the board approve that I just don't have that discretion. So they get to answer their questions within the time period and that's it, no exceptions. Um, I would have made these disclosures earlier. Unfortunately, and quite frankly, I didn't see their relevance because the way our moderator is done, I simply ask questions. The questions that we have are questions that I'm, I'll explain to you how our questions are generated, but I'm not the one that decides what questions will be asked. Okay. Um, furthermore, I just want to let everybody know, because somebody had asked, none of the questions have been divulged to any candidate prior to the debate, to my knowledge, and according to our rules, and according to what was requested of the board, none of the questions should have been distributed to anybody, and were not, as far as I know. To that end, we also requested that each of the campaigns could submit questions they wanted asked. We didn't get a single question from any of the campaigns to be asked, which I thought was quite surprising, but they were also asked for input. Now, to the audience, I want you all to understand that we do have two security guards here tonight that are working on behalf of the North Orange County Bar Association. If anybody uh, brings in a sign or puts up a sign, you will first be asked to move to the back of the room so that you're not blocking anybody's view of the proceedings. If you choose not to do that, then you'll be asked to leave. If the sign is up and does block anybody's vision or being able to see the proceedings, you will be asked to leave. Any outbursts will immediately stop the proceedings. Okay? The proceedings will not start again until the quorum is reestablished. That person will be given a warning. If that outburst happens again, we will again stop the proceedings and that person will be politely asked to leave. Now the format for the event is as follows. We're going to have a three-minute opening statement by each candidate to begin the proceeding. The order of the candidates was decided by lot by our very own Commissioner Joe Dane. 
So that's the order, and we already know and have addressed with them, and I'll just announce them when they come up as to the order. We then did a new round by lot, and Commissioner Joe Dane reselected the four candidates in a new order for the closing. So both of those were decided by lot. Questions were compiled by the board, but they were from about, well, I'm sorry. Questions are going to be uh, presented by the moderator, which is me, and then we'll have a one-minute time period to respond by each candidate to each question. After the approximately 60 minutes, we will take a five-minute break. When we resume, we're going to turn to the second round, and we will go through those for about 20 to 30 minutes, and then we will go to closing. The closing will be a three-minute closing statement for each one of the candidates. Now, the first round of questions were questions that were selected by the board from over 100 submissions from numerous different sources. The second round of questions are questions that are submitted by you here tonight, the audience. Some of those have already been submitted and some of those have already been reviewed. Those questions will be reviewed for duplicity, relevancy to the Office of District Attorney, and professionalism in the way that the question is asked. We're going to do our best to get to all of the questions, but quite honestly, I don't think we will get to nearly all the questions, especially from the audience, because I think already we got 20 or 30 questions that I've seen. So what I'm going to ask everybody of tonight is to please be civil. Please allow everybody to answer questions. Please don't have any outbursts, okay? As far as the candidates are concerned, if they want to stick around after the event to socialize and meet with you, they have that opportunity to do so or not. That's going to be up to them, okay? I hope everybody understands the rules, and with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and get started. between those that deserve imprisonment and those that merit a different approach. 
the candidates' qualifications, experiences, and prior performance are relevant to that answer. As for my qualifications, I graduated from law school in the top 10% of my class. I worked for two United States Court of Appeals judges. I was in private practice in Los Angeles, and I've been with the U.S. Department of Justice since 2006. While at the Justice Department, I received two Assistant Attorney General Awards for Excellence and two for Distinguished Service. In 2015, I received an Attorney General Award, one of the highest awards the Department issues, for my work in a criminal terrorism prosecution out of Portland. In 2016, I transferred to the Southern District of California to serve as counsel for the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. As counsel, I worked with approximately 350 special agents, federal and state task force officers, and others to prosecute uh, drug cartel members, doctors and pharmacies that divert controlled substances, gang leaders, and fentanyl dealers. In 2020 and 2022, I received awards for excellence from the United States Attorney for my work in controlled substance litigation and a particularly complex criminal case. I believe my background clearly demonstrates that I'm the best candidate for district attorney and that people can trust me to make the right decisions at the right time. I look forward to answering your questions and hopefully earning your vote. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Our next opening is going to be from attorney Mike Jacobs. Hi, thanks for having me here. I need to go fast because I have a lot of ground to cover here. My primary qualifications are what I accomplished during a 30 year career. Can you stand up, please? Okay. <laughs> we'll pause. Is that better? Yes. Yeah, thank you. During the time frame I spent in the DA's office, I spent 22 years in trial. After my first time on the felony panel, I spent the next 21 out of 25 years in Berkeley. I spent 13 years in the homicide unit. I supervised the felony panel for three and a half years and supervised homicide for three years. My overall stats during that time period, I did over 140 jury trials, 75 were felonies, 26 homicides, and seven capital cases. What's this all mean? Well, how important are qualifications? Or how important is this kind of experience to the job of district attorney? Well, we have to, have to take a look then at Todd Spitzer. And I've known Todd for a long time, and we've been friends. I supervised him for 16 months when he was on the felony panel. During that time frame, he did nine trials, and shortly afterwards, he left and launched on his political career. So how's it worked out for him in the DA's office? Well, let's see, I have to be honest. From what I've seen and what I've learned, major cases have been undermined and compromised by him, and 16 lawsuits have been filed against him in the county. A hundred, approximately a hundred attorneys out of the staff of 300 have quit, retired, or been fired. I think you have to call that chaos. Total chaos. Absolutely. To put it mildly. Fourteen of the civil cases filed against him involve enabling sexual harassment of females. Listen to that word females. It's going to come up. It's going to come up a few times. Two cases were for wrongful termination. One against the female investigator who was initially assigned to the Robichaux case. Take note, out of 15 of the 16 civil cases, female plaintiffs are involved. I want to talk about the Robichaux Riley serial race case. This was, from what I can gather from using my experience in reviewing the facts, this was a serious case with seven female victims. Hear that word again? Seven female victims were drugged and sexually assaulted by Dr. Robichaux and his girlfriend. 
By the way, I think I should point out, Mr. Spitzer never tried a sexual assault case because he was never assigned to that unit. There were seven victims, alleged victims. They didn't know each other, almost identical stories. Before any review of the evidence after he took office, Mr. Spitzer took the experienced, prosecutor, an experienced prosecutor, Jennifer Walker, off the case and then tried to fire the investigator, Jennifer Kearns. 30 seconds. Why did he do that? Because he had a plan. What did Kearns do wrong? She put the case together and didn't put in any, enough defense evidence in the reports. What's the worst of all it that I saw about the way this case was handled? The victims were never interviewed before he made his decision to dismiss the case. You cannot do that. You cannot prepare or evaluate a rape case without talking to the victims. So Mr. Jacobs, we want to thank you very much for your time with us. Well, thank you for having me tonight, and Tatiana Turner is here in the front row. She's been charged and held to answer twice at the preliminary hearing for attempted murder. I was here four years ago, and the incumbent that I ran against did not show up. And so I'm here tonight because it's obviously important to defend my record. I have about 50 prosecutors and support staff here tonight. I did not ask them to come. I want to thank them for being here. We have over 900 employees in the Orange County DA's office. This is the largest law firm in Orange County, third in the state, and sixth in the nation. I'm proud to be endorsed by all the employee groups, the deputy district attorneys, the Orange County Employees Association, and the Association of Orange County Deputy Sheriffs, which represent my investigators. That's why, because I've been serving this county for over 30 years, they know me, and they understand the issues and the people. I'm so proud my wife is here tonight. She's put up with this lifestyle for over 26 years, and I'm deeply grateful for the fact that our two children have had to go through watching the repeated attacks and the amazing celebrations of our family. The reason I've been elected so many times over 30 years is because the community trusts me and they know me. Now, they might, the Orange County Register may not always agree with me, but I received the Orange County Register's endorsement uh, despite all the attacks on me, and they said I was doing a solid job. I'm endorsed by Democrats and Republicans. As a Republican, I got, I am endorsed by the Teamsters. I'm endorsed by the building trades of LA and Orange County. I'm endorsed by the firefighters and the Hispanic 100 and all the crime victims groups here in California. And I'm endorsed by the prominent veterans group called the Veterans Alliance leading the cemetery fight here in Orange County, as well as the Orange County Taxpayers Association. Why? Because after 30 years, they understand that Orange County is California's safest large county. Of the 10 safest cities in California, five are here in Orange County. That is not by accident. We enforce the law, and society's most serious offenders get prosecuted. But we keep, and we will keep the streets safe. We file free strikes. We file enhancements. We prosecute the most serious offenders. 
but we also have a diversion program. And we now fully staff all the collaborative courts. And we help those who are mentally ill and addicted to drugs and alcohol. And I've started now a pre-filing diversion program before we ever file criminal charges. The bottom line is we balance Orange County. We're not San Francisco or Los Angeles. Thank you very much. It's hard to hear everybody going on. I know there's some talking behind me. There's been talking on both sides. So I'm just asking everybody, please keep talking to a minimum. If it's like, this is a warning. If you're identified, you'll be given a warning and asked to leave. Our next opening statement is from attorney and business owner, Pete Harden. Thanks so much for having me. It is axiomatic that the first role of government is to establish order so that people can feel safe and secure. It has become equally well understood by now what an unmitigated disaster this district attorney administration has been in all too many ways. When Todd Spitzer cannot keep his own house in order, when his own prosecutors are afraid to exercise their discretion, let alone report sexual When his own prosecutors are afraid to exercise their discretion, let alone report sexual harassment, how can the people feel safe? I want to congratulate Todd Spencer on all those endorsements, but he forgot to mention that he lost the endorsements uh, of the top law enforcement officials of every major county in California after a number of racist remarks came to light. He forgot to mention that he advertised endorsements that he never got. How come he didn't mention that, Todd? Yeah. yeah. That but listen, you rightfully asked, what qualifies you, Pete? What qualifies you to run the largest law firm in Orange County? That's a great question. What qualifies me, and what I hope earns your trust and support here tonight throughout this campaign, is my leadership and legal experience. I learned a lot earning my commission as a Marine Corps officer and serving in that position for eight years. I learned a lot leading the prosecution office for the largest command in the Marine Corps. I learned a lot teaching Marines the rules of engagement and leading Marines at war in Afghanistan. And when I got back, I learned a lot leading trial teams of attorneys, law enforcement agents, and subject matter experts. Along the way, I've had the great honor of serving as a prosecutor at every level of our justice system. But make no mistake, I don't want to misrepresent myself. I don't claim to be the most experienced trial attorney. I know that I'm not. That's not what this job is about. Take a look at your ballot next week when you receive it in the mail. It'll say district attorney-public administrator. What I claim to be is a leader who will administer this office this fundamental pillar of democracy in our community the way that it ought to be, with integrity, transparency, and accountability, because that's the leadership that we deserve in Orange County, not showmanship. I'm asking for your support to help me work hand in hand with my colleagues at the district attorney's office, with all of you here in this room. So many of you know how to make our, our criminal justice system more than and with leaders across Orange County to make the district attorney's office a great place to work again, like it used to be. To make the dist uh, our district attorney's office one of the premier prosecutorial agencies in the country. Together, working collaboratively, I know that we can accomplish that. Grateful to you for having me.
just while I'm giving, giving you guys your time periods, I, I saw some of you looking over to see the time cards. I kind of tried to quietly let you guys know when you got to 30 seconds if I didn't think you were looking over. But she's going to warn you at 30 seconds and then again at 10 seconds. Okay, now, is it okay to ask the first question? It has been said that Mr. Spitzer micromanages his deputy district attorneys, even going to the extent of adding petty penalties such as community service and requiring permission and offers which has led to low office morale. Do you believe in giving the deputy district attorneys discretion to handle their cases and make offers on their own without needing to get permission on each case? Will you put policies in place that prohibit deputy district attorneys from filing enhancements like those for weapons, great bodily injury, strikes, or again, allow them to use their own discretion as whether or not to do so? We're going to start with Mr. Harden. Thank you. Can you hear me? All right. Uh, yeah, listen, the, the, the lack of discretion uh, and professionalism afforded to the deputy district attorneys has led to morale being at an all-time low and a mass exodus, unlike we've ever seen at the district attorney's office in this county before. Yes, I absolutely believe in uh, restoring integrity and professionalism to this office in part by giving discretion to the district, the deputy district attorneys. We hire them for their good judgment. We should allow them to use it. Uh, with respect to uh, sensing enhancements and strikes, I plan this to follow the law. Uh, the law requires that we file strikes. We will file strikes. Judges can strike the strikes if they so choose. Uh, we will file enhancements where appropriate. Uh, section 1385, subsection C, demonstrates clearly that our criminal justice system is moving in a direction where we need to take a lot of things into consideration about uh, filing enhancements, everything from uh, someone's background. Thank you very much, Mr. Harden. Same question, Mr. Chia. We're going to go just down the road. Yes, uh, I also agree. I mean, uh, prosecutors need to have discretion to handle cases appropriately as they see fit. Now, it is absolutely the responsibility of a district attorney and supervisors to manage their people, right? You don't treat somebody who's been with the office for six months the same way you treat somebody who's been in the office for six years, right? So you have to have processes in place to make sure that people learn the job before they're given full discretion to do whatever they feel appropriate. However, it is, it is fundamentally important that we empower prosecutors to make decisions about individual defendants in individual cases. It is impossible in a, in a, in a district attorney of this size to make blanket policies and say, I will always treat this case this particular way and this type of case this particular way. You have to have the ability to treat different people differently. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joseph. We'll pause. In my experience, this really shouldn't be a problem. In the district attorney's office, you have a line managers the line managers generally are responsible for the discretion and what discretion they want to give to their deputies. For instance, when I was supervising the felony panel, every case that went to trial had to go through me. And that was just because these were people new coming onto the panel. When you go out to vertical trial, their vertical unit, sexual homicide, sexual assault, the discretion is handled by those line supervisors and what they want to give each individual deputy. So if you have good line managers, if you have good supervision, district attorney usually isn't involved. It's the assistants and the, the line managers, the, the assistants below them, 
that, that, that hand out or, or deal with any discretion. And it shouldn't be a problem. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Spencer? Yeah, the reason Mike knows it's not a problem because he's actually worked in the offices as experience. We have charging units throughout all the branch courts, and all those charging units make decisions. I've never interfered at all in the charging decision from the filing deputies. Where I do get involved are certain cases I feel strongly about. For example, hate crimes. We have a published opinion called Mayfield, where Mayfield was a three-striker who went after an African-American victim. He's a Nazi. He had a swastika tattooed on his stomach, and you better believe I was involved in that. I spoke out in that case in front of Judge Robbins. It was a three-year offer. We got it reversed by the Fourth District Court of Appeal, and now he's looking at 25 to life. At a forum that these individuals participated, Mr. Harden subscribed to every single uh, statement that Mr. Gascon in Los Angeles, no sentence in enhancements. No misdemeanors, no bail, no juveniles prosecuted as adults, no misdemeanors, no death penalty. It does all the all Thank you very much. We are all <laughs> In the front row, I'm giving you your warning in the black. Please maintain decorum. Thank you. I'm sorry, I just was I, I understand afterwards, but during the questions, during during the answers, you were making comments. I'm just going to ask you to please maintain decorum. Okay? In the back, I hear people going through bags. Again, I'm asking to keep decorum. Also, Excuse me. Excuse me. Second question, we're going to go to Mr. Chihak. Do you believe that the deputy district attorneys who practiced under the Tony, Tony Rakakis regime are win at all cost prosecutors? If so, do you believe that that attitude may have contributed to unfair prosecutions? What have or what would you do to change that policy and remedy any pressure that may cause one to lose sight of justice? Well, I, I don't know what Tony Rokakis' plans were for the particular office. Obviously, the role of the district attorney and the prosecutors in that office is not to secure a conviction. It's to do justice, right? That may mean, in a particular case, going for a very significant sentence. It may be seeking diversion. It may be dismissing the case. These are, again, problems when you have policies that try to treat every single case the same, right? These are individual decisions that need, need to be made and on a case-by-case -case basis. If we get into a, a, a process by which we're trying to compare who, has, who is the toughest on crime, who is the most want prosecutor, who's, who's this and who's that, it diminishes the importance of the office. There are people that do horrible crimes that need to face significant sentences. There are also individuals that are vulnerable themselves. Right? A drug addict on methamphetamine is not going to get help from a 45-day drug diversion program. That's a lifelong problem. Thank you very much, Mr. Chuck. Same question to you, Mr. Nickett. Okay, well, this is an interesting question. Mike, Mike, Mike. I, I, I and if you hold it towards your face, I think it'll be easier. I worked under Mr. Rukakis at least for a while, and I objected to a lot of his management styles and rules, and I got fired for it. And I, I got my job back after two years and was reinstated, but I had consistent issues with him. But as far as when it all costs, that probably came down after I was um, out and assigned out to Southport. I was no longer part of the management team. And that happened after I was gone. And that's at least the allegations. But I have no 
um, no background or no understanding of him actually talking about that or reading that. I, I'm not sure if that's really an accurate depiction of his attitude. There are other problems with his management that um, I dealt with. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jacobs. Mr. Spitzer. There was definitely a win at all costs, which is why I fired two prosecutors since I've been the district attorney. One for failing to turn over evidence, uh, and another one for uh, cheating in a case and failing to turn over evidence, and I were retrying that case as a result. When I took over this office, we were under investigation by the United States Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. We're still under investigation from the United States Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, and we've been working diligently to rewrite the informant manual we do not use informants in our county at all anymore unless it goes through me. You're not allowed to use a jailhouse informant. And so when you remember the jailhouse booking, when we, I got elected, we found out that the sheriff's department was not booking evidence. And we went back my office uh, with Chris Dunn and Robert Messman, and we audited the sheriff's department and went back three years. We do not win at all costs. We don't cheat, okay? We are transparent. We charge what we can prove, and we take this very seriously. Thank which you is very exactly much, why I've been endorsed by the Orange County Register. Now, Mr. Jacobs, I'm going to go to Mr. Spitzer for this question because it is. Oh, I apologize. Thank you so much. All right. I was a prosecutor under Tony Brokakis, too, and I was not a winner at all costs uh, mentality prosecutor. So, absolutely not. Not all the prosecutors were winner at all costs. Just like law enforcement uh, officers, uh, the vast majority of prosecutors in the office are terrific public servants who want to do the right thing. Uh, one thing I want to change uh, in taking over the office um, in, in terms of the culture is the process by which people promote uh, through the system. Let's move it away from uh, more and more trials and more and more convictions and to something more well-rounded. Uh, you know, not everyone is a trial dog. People bring different skills uh, to the table. Uh, we need to recognize that, leverage all types of different skills uh, to recruit the top talent. Thank you very much, Mr. Harden. So we're going to go, this is the first directed question. So I'm going to start with Mr. Spitzer, because this is directed to you, then each of the other candidates will get a chance to respond. According to the Orange County Register and the Voice of OC, you've been found to have violated the county's abuse conduct policy with regard to the sexual harassment issues in your office. And as last count, there are facing seven lawsuits related to sexual harassment and retaliation. What mistakes, if any, have you made? And what would you change moving forward? So thanks for that question. This is pending litigation. You're asking a question about Gary Lagalo. This is about Gary Lagalo, who has now been found to have a sustained allegations of engaging in sexual harassment in Northport, 20 miles away from where most of us in the executive management work in Santa Ana. Gary, Gary Lagalo is a pit. And I stood up for all the victims and said, not only should they be properly compensated, uh, but the county should apologize. Our county council released a confidential report over my objection and deemed it a public record. That was outrageous. Our county council betrayed the women in our office. Once I was informed and it came to my attention that Mr. Legavo had engaged in, in sexual harassment, he was immediately put on administrative leave and then he, he resigned thereafter. He's a pig. He should never have worked in the office. I'm ashamed of my relationship going back 25 years, and I don't tolerate it at all. And he left, and I fired another employee who engaged in misconduct here in Northport. When I found out about it, she Thank you very much, Mr. Spitzer. Yeah. 
Todd Spitzer has been at the center of an ever-widening sexual harassment scandal. Uh, an independent investigator found that he violated the county's abuse of conduct policy and found him not credible. Again, that's our DA, ladies and gentlemen. We can and should do better. Thank you, Mr. Harden. I obviously have no basis to just to tell you whether or not uh, P. Harden engaged in any inappropriate conduct when he was there. Uh, my only concern with uh, Mr. Harden, uh, he mentioned this earlier, is his experience. Right? He was at the DA's office for 11 months, uh, and he, his position with the federal government was unpaid. So my concern with him is that he seems like a very nice human being and a very pleasant person to sit next to. Uh, and I don't know whether or not he engaged in that behavior, but it, to me, a unnamed allegation against somebody does not merit the type of, of uh, the, the, the allegations of pervert feet or he shouldn't be within a thousand feet of a school. That is that is disgusting, right? That is not how political discourse should occur, and not for something like this office, right? You can have meaningful discussions with and differences with people without the sort of resorting baseless allegations. Uh, that have no other proof in them other than a unnamed memo. Thank you very much, Mr. Seale. Mr. Spitzer. I don't have any comments about that. Thank you very much. Mr. Spitzer? All right, Pete, you just lied and caught you. There was a memo from Jen Contini that documented everything about you. It was reported about you by one of your fellow prosecutors. You then lied to the press and said, there's no memo. And then Jamie Coulter, a former senior assistant district attorney, came forward so disgusted by your denial that he did an interview and said, I was in the room when Pete Harden was admonished, and every single allegation in that memo was gone through with him, and he just put his head down. A woman has come forward, the woman you followed out of the courtroom from that memo, a charged defendant who had just got her uh, case dismissed. You followed her out. She, she signed a sworn declaration. It's out on the internet now, and you followed her out and you stalked her on Facebook. And a DA that you work with has now put in a statement. No comments. Has now put out a statement confirming two things. That you admitted that you broke in to the woman who had your child because you thought she was dating you she met at the gym. That's You're it. a liar. We did go over the time for three seconds because I did pause the proceedings to quiet somebody in the back of the room. Next question. I'm going to start with Mr. Jacobs here because when we were going in order, we left off with him. Do you feel that women and people of color are underrepresented in the management of the Orange County District Attorney's Office? If so, what will or have you done to rectify this situation? From my experience, from my experience in the DA's office, there never has been that kind of problem. The, the uh, positions have been filled by merit. Promotions have been filled by merit. My understanding now, I believe, I believe. Yeah, I think if you hold it directly, more directly towards your mouth. My understanding is now, I think there's over 50 percent female deputies. Mr. Spitzer can correct me if I'm wrong. And I don't believe that there's been any kind of problem either uh, with race or with. Um, uh, with gender either in far as the hiring of, of deputies. And I don't believe that that's an issue now, and I don't believe it was an issue in the past. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Mr. Jacobs. Mr. Spitzer. Appreciate it. 
Yeah, no problem. This is going to be, and this is for everybody. If you need a question repeated, I will do so. Do you feel that women and people of color are underrepresented in management of the Orange County DA's office? If so, what will or have you done to rectify the situation? All right, with respect to women, on my first day in office, I promoted senior assistant and assistant DA's women. I promoted them on the first day in office. Women needed to be and now are fully represented and need to be represented all, at all times at management levels. We do have, Mike's right, over 50% of our attorneys are women. And people of color, we need way more prosecutors to represent people of color. We started, uh, uh, several of the prosecutors are here, we started eight, which is a group that's now going to support the recruitment because we, because of COVID, we couldn't go to law schools and recruit. We must recruit and bring in people of color into the district attorney's office. It's one of my top priorities. Thank you very much, Mr. What I hear when I talk to prosecutors and I've had tons of meetings is that women are incredibly uncomfortable in that office and they do not feel well represented. One of the problems with the office is that Spencer operates it as a black box. Uh, it's best illustrated by uh, a reporter's recent question, what's the most prosecuted crime in Orange County? Spencer either would not or could not answer that question, both of which present a, a terrible problem. How can uh, one of the fundamental pillars of democracy in our country operate uh, without us, the citizens, having knowledge about what's going on with it. So it's hard to answer that question because we don't know what's happening in the office. And one thing I will change if I'm elected is uh, to make it the most open and transparent and accountable district attorney's office in, in Orange County history by uh, keeping track of prosecution stats, uh, how many people are where in the office, and uh, allocation of resources. Thank you, Mr. Harden. Mr. Sheehan. Quiet. Thank you, Mr. Yeah, and I agree that this issue is really about transparency and about how to fix the justice system in Orange County. Right? The most simple way that we can fix the justice system, and certainly the perception of the justice system, not in this country, not only in this county, but in this country, is to make it more representative of the community it protects. Right? We need to be proactive when we do that, and we can't just do it at one level. It's great that we hire more women or more minorities in one particular section of the justice system, but it needs to be represented throughout. And I will tell you the most important aspect of that is judges, right? We need a judiciary that is more reflective of the community as a whole, right? We need people that understand that have common and shared experiences and that really understand what it is like to come from different segments of society. If everybody at, at any level of the district attorney's office, judges, anywhere in the justice system, police, are the same, it creates distrust. And the thing that we need to fix in this county is trust. Thank you very much, Mr. Giac. Mr. Jacobs. I'm sorry, we can repeat the question. Absolutely. <clears throat> Do you feel that women and people of color are underrepresented? He's done with the question. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So we're going to go to uh, Mr. Spitzer would be in the order of the general questions. What policies and procedures would you or have you put in place to encourage immediate reporting of workplace misconduct, such as sexual harassment, and to create a safe space from retaliation for those who make such reports? Uh, let me tell you, every single manager has been trained extensively and immediately after the gobble on sexual harassment. All of our managers now are in managers' training. I am deeply disappointed 
that people with Gary Legal over here at Northcourt never reported to their senior assistants or above that Mr. Legalo was engaged in the kind of behavior he was. I'm disgusted by that. In fact, it's so frustrating, and so we acted as a result, and now every single employee uh, has been trained on sexual harassment. Let me just tell you this, though, with respect to sexual harassment. There's not a woman in this office that's had a problem with me with respect to sexual harassment. No one's complained about me. But if Pete Harden were the DA, every woman in the office would be scared to death based upon his history with women in the office. And the fact he had to resign from the office and move to the AG's office because that memo is real, it's transparent, solid, and truthful. Again, I've had experience in the district attorney's office, and what's surprising to me is in 30 years, there was never, a, not one single claim ever filed that having to do with sexual harassment or enabling sexual harassment. It just was not a problem. How did I deal with it as a supervisor? We had a discussion about it with my deputies. I told them that there was a zero tolerance, and I never had an issue in the six and a half years that I was a supervisor. I'm not aware that anybody else who was a supervisor, a line supervisor, had a problem either. So this seems to be something new that has come come about in his in his administration. And I'm not sure how you remedy. I don't know who's at fault, but it, it, it should not happen. And again, emphasis, it's kind of like the sergeants in the military. The line managers control what happened. And I used to say, as a supervisor, we take care of those issues here. It doesn't need to go above. And I never had a single problem. And I'm not aware of any other Thank you very much, Mr. Jacobs. Mr. Chihon. Yeah, so I, I think the most simple solution to something like that is to create an office outside of who reports to Mr. Spencer. Right? You need accountability within an office and you need a safe place for people to go to. It doesn't do any good to continuously train managers on a process that obviously didn't work in the district attorney's office. If you give people a safe place to simply levy complaints and be heard, you're going to have more comfort within the office to begin Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Keogh. Ms. Warren. Again, Spencer is outraged. He's disgusted. It's what he has to do is take any responsibility for the things that happen on his own watch. That's the outrage. Uh, look, what we okay, need to do... We're going to pause. Madam in the orange, one more comment. I'm going to ask you to leave. It's your warning. Please don't do it again. Okay. Ms. Harden, continue. Look, what we need to do is uh, I'll work with my management team at the district attorney's office and with the Office of Independent Review to create a safe and, if desired, anonymous reporting system that goes around the head of the district uh, attorney's office so that people feel safe and comfortable. That is a fundamental to making our district attorney's office the great place that it used, used to be to work at. Thank you very much, Mr. Harden. Okay, we're going to jump back to a more directed question, so I'm going to go to Mr. Spitzer. Mr. Spitzer, approximately two weeks prior to your firing of Assistant District Attorney Brahim Batai, you referred to him as a guiding light on ethics in the office. Are you saying in your entire first term in office you had no idea of the improprieties until he was actually terminated? You had indicated that there was an independent investigation, yet the report has not been released. Why not? 
Was the fire and politically motivated to silence any comments regarding the votes? Death penalty panel discussion. So the first point is absolutely not. Excuse me. Pause, please. Bernie has I don't know who that was, but that's a warning. If anybody identifies them, they will be asked to leave next. So Brahim was let go over the Smith case. It's being retried. It was a murder case. He didn't turn over evidence. The report is confidential. It's a personal matter. He's entitled to that privacy. Period. Just like in Lagavo, county council should have never released that report publicly. Secondly, with respect to Mike's point, there was a grand jury, Mike, that investigated and issued a report. You should go read it. It's online. 2015, rampant sexual harassment in the Orange County District Attorney's Office under Tony Rokakis. No one reports to me on sexual harassment. It all goes to our HR and EEO. I have nothing to do with taking in those complaints. Brahim is, was, and I believed at the time, a phenomenal person, and he's beloved in the office. But he engaged in misconduct, and I had to make the tough decision to let him go. Thank you very much, Mr. Spencer. Again, we're just going in reverse order. Mr. Jacobs, you have any comments? Can you repeat the question, please? Absolutely. The question was approximately two weeks prior to your firing, referring to Mr. Spencer, of Assistant District Attorney Raheem Batai. You, Mr. Spencer, referred to him as a guiding light on ethics in the office. Was Mr. Spencer saying in your entire first term in office, you had no idea of improprieties until he was actually terminated? Had Mr. Spencer Indicated that there was an independent investigation, yet the report has not been released. Why not? Was the firing politically motivated to silence your comments in the Bob's death penalty panel discussion? Okay, well, I have to, I have to go back then and, and, and look at my experience. I had experience myself with Mr. Uh, Baytai, and the only relevance I think here is um, it had to do with the case which I was going to talk about in, in closing. Uh, in 2015, the answer, what, what Todd brought up, I was no longer in the office, so I had no idea what was going on as far as sexual harassment or a grand jury. Getting back to Mr. Baytai, back in January of 2019, I wrote a long memo to uh, Mr. Spitzer about a case, a homicide case, uh, with the victim being uh, with Walton, and I, the, the memo had to do with what I felt was serious misconduct by, by Mr. Baytai. And uh, Mr. Spitzer and I had a brief conversation about it. Nothing came out of it, but I did give him a report detailing what I thought was very serious misconduct, for which I thought he should be terminated. And that was back in 2018, I believe. Thank you very much, Mr. Jacobs. Mr. Chiaf. I obviously don't know what conduct Mr. Baytai engaged in or did not get in, engage in. However, it strains credibility with Mr. Spitzer's explanation. There was a relatively detailed report about Tony Rakakis and his failed leadership about this very issue. The public defender's office had been jumping up and down and pointing at Mr. Behead as the individual singularly responsible for this particular issue. The fact that Mr. Spitzer is now claiming it took him three years to figure out that this individual was in fact not turning over evidence in 2010 is either a lie or incompetence on his part, right? We need to have trust in public officials to make the right decisions at the right time. You don't fire somebody for something that occurred in 2010, days after he discloses 
your racist and derogatory comments. Spitzer seems to think that people are entitled to privacy only when it works for him. Was I entitled to privacy when my personnel file was leaked up? Apparently not. Were the survivors of sexual assault in the Grant Broker Show sexual assault case, were they entitled to privacy when you publicly outed their identity in the last uh, election cycle for your own political gain? That was disgusting. The only logical conclusion of the series of events that took place is that uh, Spitzer fired Brady Baytai uh, because he was a whistleblower on uh, Spitzer's uh, awful comments uh, in, in the Bugs case. Uh, that's the only logical explanation. Thank you very much, Mr. Hardin. The next question is going to be directed to Mr. Hardin. Mr. Hardin, you've been accused of being a progressive in the image of Deputy District, or not Deputy, but District Attorney George Gaston of Los Angeles. Do you consider yourself a progressive prosecutor? It has also been a campaign slogan of your opponents that they want no LA NOC, and Gaston's policies have led to increased crime and violence in LA. Is it your goal to replicate some of Gaston's policies here in Orange County? One man's progressive is another man's centrist, is another man's too conservative. I want to progress past uh, an era of scandals and lawsuits that cost the county millions of dollars and uh, deteriorate trust in our criminal justice system. If that's progressive, fine, but I want to progress past that. Look, you've got Spitzer way out here on the right espousing 1990s tough on crime, chest thumping uh, policies that have never worked and led, led to gross over incarceration but nothing to show for it in the way of uh, public safety. And you've got George Gascon way over here on the left, excuse me, bro. Uh, way over here on the left, uh, you know, telling his prosecutors not to follow the law and, and charge strikes. This moment in our history, uh, in, especially with criminal justice, calls for leaders who can find the balance, find the middle ground, restore uh, integrity and professionalism, give attorneys uh, discretion to treat each case on its own merits. Thank you very much, Mr. Yeah. I agree. Sort of name calling or labeling individual candidates as X or Y is not particularly effective and meaningful for, for the general population. Right? We have real differences in policies and implementation. If we could focus on that instead of name calling and, and deciding who is more liberal, who is more conservative. We could have a fundamentally different conversation, not only in this county, but in this country. Right? We need to do better in terms of having meaningful discussions to address actual issues that are occurring in Orange County. Hashtag no LA and OC is not a substantive discussion. It's a juvenile slogan. Thank you very much. Thank you. happening in New York, see what's happening in San Francisco. So, no, I'm against it. We need to go back to, you, this is engineering from the rear and trying to correct problems after the crime is committed. We can't do that. We need to have the punishment, and we need to go back to the old system because it worked. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Jacobs.
Yeah, I just want to quickly mention T Hawk. That came back on our writ in 2021, so we didn't know about it in, 20, in 2010. It wasn't exposed until it came back on our writ. All right, these policies of no bail, no juveniles prosecuted as adults, no sentence enhancements, no attending parole hearings, no prosecuting misdemeanors, dissolving gang injunctions, saying I don't support qualified immunity, supporting sanctuary cities. Pete, this is the demise of America you're leading. You're leading this with George Gascon and Chessa Bowden. I went to law school at Hastings in San Francisco. 68% of San Franciscans are gonna recall Chessa because he's like you. Eight, the most liberal citizens of California cannot stand what is happening in America. And you wanna do it to Orange County. We're the safest large county in California. I'm not letting you do it, Pete. I'm fighting hard, I'm gonna win, and you're not gonna come okay, here. we're stopping. Can't see if it's coming from over this direction. If there is more talking, you will be asked to leave. Please continue, Mr. Spitzer. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. seven seconds. Thank you. <laughs> okay, this is going to be another directed question. Um, this is going to go to Mr. Spitzer. Mr. Spitzer, according to the voice of OC and the Orange County Register, at the Bugs death penalty panel, you said, I know many black people who get themselves out of their bad circumstances and bad situations by only dating white women. Can you explain what relevance that statement had to do with the proceeding at hand and what you meant by that statement? Do you believe race plays a role and should be considered in any prosecution, and if so, when? First of all, let me make it very clear. The Bugs jury came back yesterday, guilty on all counts, special circumstances. He's going to prison life without the possibility of parole. He walked into an apartment thinking that he was going to execute his ex-girlfriend, who is also Caucasian and blonde hair, and he executed a woman that looked like, and he made the mistake that that was the victim. The defense in their closing argument argued mistaken cross-racial identification. I've litigated that issue, I've gone to court on this issue, I've argued in front of juries and cross-examined experts. So the defense raised it, they litigated it, the jury didn't buy it, but it was relevant. And so it is my duty to always inquire both about what we believe we can prove in terms of our theory of a case beyond a reasonable doubt and explore all defenses. We did not, I made the decision, not to pursue the death penalty because Thank of the you very much, Mr. Spencer. <laughs> just, just very briefly, again, from a, an experience level, these uh, hearings that he was participating in have to, usually have experienced deputies who are making a decision whether to pursue the death penalty or life without possibility of parole. The comments that uh, Mr. Spencer made about dating habits were inappropriate. And I think, quite frankly, it comes from inexperience and not attending very many of these cases. When I was involved in the homicide unit, before you could sit on one of those committees, you had to have tried at least two death penalty cases. I don't believe he's ever tried any, and I'm not sure if many of the people there have tried that many. But anyway, in any event, I could see questions about race if it went to the issue of, of identity, but not that this is about dating habits. It was clearly inappropriate and I'm sure it had something to do with him taking the death penalty off the case. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jacobs. Um, Mr.
Uh, so the comments were not inappropriate, they were racist. Uh, <laughs> this goes to sort of taking accountability for your actions. These are not inadvertent remarks. These are detailed explanations about beliefs. Larry Elder participates in this sort of relationship. His college roommate participated in this sort of relationship. And what is particularly illustrative in this particular example is the filing he then made with the court. As evidenced by Mr. Murphy's subsequent filing, that memo he filed with the court contained the material omissions or misrepresentations. When your credibility is on the line as a district attorney, you better take the time to actually either research the issue and understand what you're talking about, or, or make truthful filings with the court. That is just unacceptable from any public official to use language and racist comments particularly during a death penalty case. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Sheehan. <laughs> Thanks, I think Brian said that better than I ever could. So uh, very well said. But I'm going to use my time to go back to the last question, uh, because that was another example of Spencer lying to the public. This is a perfect example of using a straw man fallacy, trying to conflate me with George Gascon or Tess Dean when my background and policies are significantly different for both of them. And let's be very clear about crime rates, folks. We are living through the Spitzer spike. Uh, crime in Orange County has gone up at significantly higher levels than it has in other places around, uh, around the state, including LA. Homicides in Orange County are at a 22-year high, and they're up uh, about seven percentage points more than they are in LA. Same thing with armed robberies. Homelessness is up over 41%. When does a leader take responsibility? It's just never going to happen. Thank you very much, Mr. Hines. Okay, we are going to go back to another directed question to Mr. Hardin. According to, to the same Orange County DA memo from 2015, you were also found to have been under investigation for the crime of adultery while in the U.S. Marines. Should the voters be concerned that your decision-making process may be influenced by factors other than justice? How can female deputy district attorneys be assured that they will be free from a hostile work environment? Well, again, this is uh, the worst in politics, Jim. This is Spencer putting out baseless allegations to distract from his own failures. Look, the fact is, and look at to Spencer, to criticize uh, an eight-year honorable Marine who served in, at war in Afghanistan. Leave it to Todd Spencer to do that. Look, the fact is I fell in love with a woman uh, and we started a family. And I had been separated from my ex-wife for over two years. Uh, we are never getting back together. Uh, if that's wrong, then I don't be right. Uh, if, committing to, if committing to being a great dad and settling down with my family is wrong, I don't want to be right.
Mr. James. I, I don't have any comment on that issue at all. Thank you. Mr. Spencer. Pete, if your statement was accurate in and of itself in a vacuum, I wouldn't touch it. But it shows a conduct of se it shows a pattern of sexual misconduct. It's a pattern with you. You were going to be court-martialed and you plea bargained. You talk about honorably served and I'm grateful for your service to this country. But let me tell you, you dishonored the Marines and they were going to court-martial you. And so as a result, you resigned. And then what you do? You negotiated a job in the district attorney's office and you engage in the same damn behavior. You chased the defendant out after she got the case dismissed. She's now filed a sworn declaration. Then you stalked her on Facebook. Then we have another statement from another DA that you worked with. And she said that you admitted to her that you broke into your, the, the woman that you had a child with. She was dating somebody from the gym. And then you broke into the apartment. The problem is it's not isolated, Pete. And then you admitted to others that you were in sex addiction counseling. My Thank you very much, Mr. Okay, this is a question to the panel, so I'm going to start with Mr. Chiak. Do you support the concepts of the collaborative courts, for example, Veterans Court, Homeless Court, Mental Health Court, etc.? How do you see them playing an expanded role in the processing and settlement of cases? Do you support pre-filing and or post-filing diversion? How do you balance such progressive policies, reforms, and rehabilitation attempts against repeat offenders, and violent criminals that are a risk to the community at large? The short, the short answer is yes. We need to do a better and smarter job of applying the criminal justice in this, in this county and in this country. Right? Ultimately, the solutions to many of these problems lay outside the justice system. Right? Drug addicts in this country commit many crimes. Right? The question is whether they are a criminal or a drug addict. Right? We do not do justice to them or the community by simply locking them up, even putting them in a diversion program for 45 days. We need to fundamentally change how we deal with mental illness, drug addiction, and poverty in this country. Right? It, is not, it is not the role and the ability of the justice system to fix that type of problems. It is a sledgehammer. Right? We can fix and go after the most dangerous criminals, and there will still be crime. We can go after every single drug addict and put them behind drug, behind jail or in diversion programs, and 45 days later, they're going to be out on the street, still homeless, and still addicted. Thank you. Mr. Jacob. The answer to your question really depends upon the type of the program, how it's set up, and, and, and the individual defendant. From my experience in watching Judge Anderson in South Court now in Harbor Court, he runs a very successful drug court, but he uses a hammer over everyone's head. They have to sign up, they have to be put on probation. There's an understanding of what will happen if they fall out, and they have to be screened. And he has a very, very high success rate in that program. So what I, I gather from that is it's really important to the nature of the program, whether it fits the defendant, and whether the defendant really is a good subject for it. Just taking people and putting them in programs isn't going to work. They're going to they're going to just use the program to buy time. They're going to get out, and then they're going to commit crimes again. So I think it's really a matter of the program, the personnel, the screening, and, and how well it's done. There are good examples of it, but for every good example, I think there's probably five or six or more that fail. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Smither. Mike, with all due respect, you've been out of the office for a while. 
The drug court statistics have plummeted. We used to be able to get people in the drug court because Judge Anderson and Wendy, his sister before that, Wendy Lindley, Judge Lindley, we had that felony charging over their head to get them to do diversion. After Prop 47, there's no incentive for them because if it's another misdemeanor on the record. So I've been working with the judges to figure out a scheme, including Judge Anderson's, to try to get people in the misdemeanor drug arena to get treatment. I staff every single collaborative court now, every mental health court, veterans court. We are in full force helping people in the Orange County DA's office. Before I got elected, only Ann Seeland was the one deputy who had to do all the collaborative courts. And now we are in full force and we're kicking some serious butt helping people. Uh, at the DA's office and at the United States Attorney's office. I saw firsthand people recycle through the, through the system time and again for a similar set of crimes, but the same underlying reasons, addiction, mental illness, and homelessness. Until we as a society recognize that those are public health crises that needed to be treated as such and not simply uh, issues to be dealt with by hitting people over the head time and time again in a criminal justice system, which is not to say that the criminal justice system doesn't have a place to play. But in my administration, I will double and triple down on collaborative courts. Thank you very much for joining Now this is going to be the last question before we're going to have a five minute break and then we're going to turn to the questions that have been submitted by the audience. So I'm going to give this a general question. It's going to be directed to Mr. Jacobs first and then we'll go to Spencer, etc. <clears throat> Mr. Jacobs, do you agree or disagree with the recent legislative changes in the law that allow more discretion to be given to judicial officers to strike enhancements, sentence on lesser counts, such as 654 counts, etc. Does that affect how, and would that affect how you would file cases? I think, I think that proposition also has to do with filing on juveniles. I believe it, it means the judge has the final say in the filing of juveniles. If the district attorney can't do it on his own anymore, you're qualifying, so I'm going, to, I'm going to stop the time to do that. Yeah, we're asking, as, as a general rule, I think what the board is trying to say, the legislature is giving more discretion to judicial officers in general. How do you feel about that, and would that affect your filing decisions, and if so, how? I think the, the problem is, and it's been a while since I read that, they also, um, as a, uh, a section having to do with doing it, the judges can do away with enhancements. Sensing, and I have a problem with that because those enhancements used to be automatic. Other than that, as far as sharing discretion given into the judges, I have no problem with questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Jacobs. Mr. Spitzer. That's what litigation is all about. The executive branch, which I represent, is a charging entity. The judicial branch is a separate branch of government, and they're empowered to make decisions, and they have discretion as well. And then we go in with defense and we make our arguments. And whoever prevails and makes the best arguments, and what ends up being in the best interest of, the ju in, of, ju uh, interest of justice, is the way the system works. I support that. I swear to uphold the Constitution. I believe it's up to my deputies to make the best argument they can. And sometimes we don't prevail. But you know what? We don't criticize. We just live with it. But sometimes we feel very strongly about cases. And that's when we will argue, but we do the best we can. But yes, judges should absolutely have that discretion. Thank you very much, Mr. Spitzer. I'm going to go over to Mr. Hardy. 
Yeah, that's a flip flop if we've ever seen one. The Spencer has spent the last years rallying against uh, judges who exercise discretion. Of course, judges are hired for their good judgment, appointed or, or elected for their good judgment. We should give them the discretion to use it. And they need to use it to reduce uh, over incarceration in this state. In 1980, we had 24,000 people in state prisons. By 2006, we had 175,000 people. It was a, a gross over incarceration uh, with uh, disproportionately affected people of color and uh, less affluent communities. We need to work on that. We have been working on it, been making some progress, but giving judges that discretion and allowing prosecutors to use the same type of discretion is a move in the right direction. Thank you very much, Mr. Hardin. Mr. Chirhoff. Yes, I mean, I do agree with Prop 57 and sort of the, the allocation of decision-making responsibilities within the justice system. This again goes to the thought process of individual cases need to be treated individually. Right? Blanket, blanket rules that enhancements are always applied or never applied do not work. Right? You need to treat somebody differently who uses a gun than somebody who doesn't use a gun. You need to treat the circumstances of somebody who uses a gun differently and individually depending on the facts and circumstances of that individual case. And so I think it is, it, it, I hope it does not change what I would do as a district attorney, depending on who the judge was and what he or she may have a reputation for either accepting or, or uh, removing enhancements. But at the end of the day, that is the right discretion to give judges. Thank you very much, Mr. Chua. We are going to take a five-minute break. I do want to thank the candidates and say you guys have been wonderful. I want to thank the folks for 15 years. And there's a moratorium that is unlikely to ever be lifted. So the reason that I won't seek the death penalty is because to do so is to re-victimize survivors and, uh, uh, and betray taxpayers. All we are doing is uh, making survivors go through decades of appeals that re-traumatize them at every turn and throwing good money after bad on a system that doesn't work. Four billion dollars since 1978 on a system that's never been shown to deter crime. I am not a showman, I'm a leader, and uh, I will seek life without parole when it's appropriate, but I won't betray taxpayers or victims. Thank you very much, Mr. Harden. Uh, Mr. Chihuahua, your comments. I, I tend to agree that in California, that death penalty is a symbolic uh, sentence, uh, but in cases, sometimes symbols matter. That there are horrendous crimes that do exist that, in my personal opinion, warrant the death penalty. I understand these are very, very rare circumstances. You have to take into account mental illness, the circumstances of the individual case, and I would never pursue the death penalty if I didn't have unanimous consent from the victim's family. He is 100% right, and it's not worth driving the family through repeated instances of having to testify at, at um, uh, clemency hearings. The whole process is designed to ensure that the death penalty is not carried out in California. But symbols do matter, and I do believe in very rare circumstances, that is a process that is worth undertaking. Thank you very much, Mr. Chihuahua. I've had some of my personal experience with uh, capital case litigation. I'm a strong proponent of the death penalty. Uh, before I got into the DA's office, I was adamantly opposed to the, the death penalty until I saw what people did to other people, and believe me, it can converge Okay, I tried seven capital cases, five successfully, and one of my uh, suspects has been um, executed. 
and I believe um, it's something that we should pursue. It has a place. California, I believe, as recently as 2016, a proposition to maintain the death penalty. I don't think Newsom's going to be the governor forever. And once he's gone, I think the death penalty will become a reality again, and it deserves to be. It should be. And if you saw some of the things I see, it would convert you to. Thank you, Mr. Fisher. The district attorney has the most solemn duty that he's, the district attorney is the only individual in our county who makes the ultimate decision if somebody's going to be put to death. I don't know about Mike, but probably I'm one of the only people in this entire room that was in the death chamber. I watched the last execution in California. That man was convicted of robbery, and his conviction was overturned while he was in Folsom Prison. He then had the witnesses executed in order to keep them from testifying at the trial. It was very hard to watch a man die, but he deserved to die. What we have turned this state upside down is, we put the defendants first, like Mr. Pardon's policies, and we've forgotten about the victims. This is about protecting victims, not the defendants. And Steve Harris here, his son was brutally murdered for goodness sakes. Dismembered, and then put up in an attic in Los Alamitos. You want to live with that? And he got the death penalty, and these were promises that were made to him and his family. And your Thank governor is you, Mr. Okay, this is to all of you, so I'm just going to direct this one to Mr. Chiak again. Can you speak to how proactive you have been or will be in providing comprehensive data to defense attorneys who make claims requests? under the California Racial Justice Act. Yes, uh, so 100% of my administration will be dedicated to transparency. These are, this type of information should be released publicly. You don't need to wait until individual cases to talk about how your office prosecutes racial uh, disparities, uh, females, types of crimes. This should just be public knowledge. The, the, the important thing about transparency is it has to be 100% of the time. You can't pick the issues that you're transparent about and not be transparent about the issues that negatively impact you. And so my administration will be committed to making sure that all relevant information was not only shared with defense counsel, but with the public as a whole. Thank you, Mr. Chihak. Mr. Jacobs. <laughs> yes. Can you speak to how proactive you have been or will be in providing comprehensive data to defense attorneys who make claims requests under the California Racial Justice Act. Okay, I think I can answer that. Again, with my practical experience, uh, I did uh, complete discovery. And when I was a, a prosecutor, especially in homicide, I turned over my complete notebook, all the notebooks, pictures, anything that these defense wanted. Okay? I never had a problem. The problem with this legislation is I'm sorry, as far as uh, this recent leg uh, legislation involves, it entails what probably most of the time is going to be oral testimony. And in the case that, that Mr. Spitzer was involved in, I think some of the deputies wrote memos. Okay, So you're going to have to train the people about what the, what the law entails and what's it about. And people are going to have to be damn careful about what comments they make, especially racially. But when they are made, they're going to have to be put into reports and made discoverable. And that's something new, and it's going to be interesting to see how the various district attorney's office resolve it. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jacobs. Mr. Spitzer. 
So there's a bill in the state legislature requiring all prosecutors to have to redact out the race of the person whose case they're reviewing before they file charges. I'm in support of that legislation. We're also going to implement a program with all of our police reports where the software redacts out the race so that the only thing the prosecutor knows when they're reviewing the case is the facts of the case, but not the neighborhood, the street, or anything that might lend them to understand or think about the race of the particular individual. We're going to be filing all our cases in Orange County on a race-neutral basis. It needs to happen. It's long overdue. The public expects it, and I support it. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. It, it is long overdue. You said you've had 30 years to do this, not just the last four years. Well, when do you take responsibility for the things you haven't done, Todd? It never happens. Look, this is, goes back to what I talked about earlier. Todd Spitzer runs this office like a black box into which we feed hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars and get no information in return. I think Brian said it best. I, you know, I'm committed to uh, running the most transparent and accountable district attorney's office in Orange County history by tracking all this information on a real-time basis and making it available to the public so that the defense attorneys don't even have to, have to ask in the first place. Thank you very much, Mr. Hart. I question directly to Mr. Spitzer. Why have you failed to hold police accountable? Well, first of all, I don't think that's true. You can snap your fingers all you want. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the evidence books in the Adams booking with the Sheriff's Department, we went back three years. We went to the grand jury and indicted the deputy sheriff. I prosecuted two other deputy sheriffs. We have never hesitated. I have an outstanding group of prosecutors in our special prosecution. Yeah, I'm going to pause. Yeah, this, is, this is like the 20th time, Jeff. Yeah. You're excused. You're excused. Yeah, she needs to leave. Excuse me. So, Security. So you, you're, Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Yeah, it's a bad thing because, because you know, Miss Turner, it's so uncomfortable. Miss Turner's charge street attempted murder has been held in her street. My friend, I was like, you're excused, man. You're excused. Unfortunately, I can't see everything. I'll tell her I'll be but I can see you. I'll be so I'll Ma'am, if you don't leave in the next 10 seconds, we'll just have to end the proceedings. So I'm asking you to leave right now. But are you going to ask the other people who else to leave? Because his supporters have an answer. So I'm saying I'll go back there by the supporters and be quiet because my coughing is interrupted. Can I do that? We'd really like to hear our questions answered by them. So if you would please just let them be on the call. Because I respect this man. Because Todd.
Get out of here. I know I have my voice to stop. Please do not resume. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Now, we're going to go back to the question, and we're just going to start all over again. Mr. Spitzer, why have you failed to hold police accountable? One minute. We have absolutely held police accountable. I'm sorry, you have 38 seconds. <laughs> we have absolutely held police accountable, but let me make something very clear. I support the police in Orange County. I do not support to fund the police. I support qualified immunity. Mr. Hardin said he would eliminate qualified immunity and subject our police to all these attacks that have happened to them on our streets. This is what is wrong with our country. We should prosecute the bad cops, send them to prison, hold them accountable. But 99.9% .9 of the police are good people. And our judges should believe that. And so the fact of the matter is, we need... Mr. Spitzak, your time is up. And I have prosecuted the police. Many We're going to go back and reverse the ladies to the right. Mr. Spitzak, you're calling to the question why you build old police accountable. Can you repeat the question? Absolutely. The question was directed to Mr. Spitzer, so, but it's, so the question is, but no, you're not wondering again. Why have Mr. Spitzer failed to hold police accountable? Let me give a, a bit, bit of a, a long answer to that. I've done some research on that issue as far as, as, far as police filings, and I think uh, in the Rukakis administration, that uh, preceded uh, Spitzer's, there was a real problem. I think in a 20 year period, I think maybe there were two filings on the police. Uh, quite frankly, after uh, Mr. Spitzer took over, I haven't seen a real change in that. I really haven't seen many prosecutions. I think he was reluctant to file uh, the cases involving the, um, the evidence with the sheriffs were holding evidence. I think initially all of them were rejected and eventually he filed two or three. I think primarily because the sheriff insisted on it. I still think that there's a problem. Back in the Rukakis administration, I knew that Brahim Betai was responsible for all police violence and then all of them on the computer. I made a public records act to try to get those records and they said they didn't exist. So there is a problem there. I don't believe it's been totally remedied. Mr. Jacobs, thank you very much. Same question to you, Mr. Chair. And uh, this question really goes more to trust. It's who do you trust to use the position of district attorney for the betterment of the community? And we can make concrete steps in order to improve police accountability. There used to be times in which police departments were adamantly opposed to things like body-worn cameras. It is now almost universal. Right? We need to do things that make sense. Right? We should have an MOU like we do in San Diego County where departments are not authorized to investigate their own misconduct. Right? We need to hold police accountable because it increases the entire confidence in the justice system. I agree wholeheartedly with Mr. Spitzer that 99% of police officers are trying to do the right thing at the right time. I also recognize that is not a shared experience with a lot of other people. Right? What we need to do is actually try to make the justice system more representative of the community it protects. If that happens, you will definitely see a decrease in uh, 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 police uh, reports of this kind. Thank you.
Thank you very much, Mr. Chiaz. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, look, finally, Mr. Spitzer and I agree on something. The vast majority of police officers in this community, in this country, are fantastic. They're the heroes among us. But uh, look, I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement. I've worked with them throughout my entire career. The best way to support law enforcement, though, is not by letting the ones who break the law uh, escape. It's by holding them accountable so we, uh, we create trust in the system as a whole. Uh, look, Todd Spitzer is bought and paid for by the police unions. Yep. Yep. And he has been nonetheless letting me down, okay? And he has been throughout his entire career. That presents a fundamental conflict of interest that destroys trust in the criminal justice system. Uh, I support, I will never accept a dime from police unions now or ever. Uh, and in contrast, Spitzer has taken millions of dollars. And uh, I support uh, creating an independent uh, agency to investigate uh, police officer misconduct cases. Last question from the audience, just based on time. Unfortunately, we have several more, but I think this is the last one we get to with the time we have. Um, so I'm going to start with Mr. Jacobs, and the question is going to be, would you end qualified immunity? No, I would not. The police, and I assume, is that what the question is? The question, I, I'm yeah. assuming that's what they're going at, or, or anybody that would have qualified immunity, but. <laughs> no, I, I would not. I mean, there's litigation on what exactly that means and the details of it, but I, and it might need to be modified, but right now I would not, I would not, um, I would not say it should be eliminated. Thank you. Mr. Spitzer, comment? I support sustaining qualified immunity. If you look at the academy classes today for the Sheriff's Department here in Orange County and local law enforcement at Rio Mondo, West College, and other, other community colleges offer academies, people don't want to be cops today. So many people in this room, with their behavior, their heckling, their, dis their disdain for the police and law enforcement, the way they disrespect those of us in law enforcement, there are so many people who said, I don't want to have anything to do with law enforcement anymore. I support our police, I judge them, I hold them accountable, but you better believe, I spent 10 years in LA as a, a reserve cop working the streets in patrol, and I'm telling you, most of our police are great. And how dare we try to dismantle the police and defund them? It's outrageous. It's our minority communities that need the police more than anybody. That's where all the crime is happening. Listen to the sheriff being away in LA. And Gaston turns his back, a blind guy. Thank you very much, Mr. Spitzer. Next question, excuse me, goes to Mr. Harden. Would you end qualified immunity? Yeah, look, Todd Spitzer acts like being held accountable is some insult to him. We are public, you are a public official. I look forward to being one. That's the public's job is to hold you accountable and criticize you. You need to stand up and take responsibility, which you've never done. Thank you. Look, no one is talking about defunding the police. Uh, that, that, that's not a topic of conversation. I certainly don't believe in that. Qualified immunity. What other profession in the United States uh, does anyone have qualified immunity for? We as attorneys have to get insurance. Doctors have to do the same thing. I am in favor of any qualified immunity to move to an insurance-based system, just like every other, uh, every other profession in the United States, uh, so that uh, the public isn't on the hook for these huge payouts. Uh, what happens is the payouts come from a general fund, uh, not from the police department, but from a general fund. 
And that puts all of us on the hook for it. Why should it be that way? Uh, we should incentivize police officers, police agencies, to adequately train their, their officers by moving to an insurance-based system that will cover those losses for us. Again, this is a question that really doesn't focus on the substance of what the issue is. Qualified immunity is, is a buzzword for whether or not you support the police or don't support the police. Right? There are perfectly valid reasons why qualified immunity exists. Right? If, if, take the police, for example. Right? It used to be unconstitutional uh, to slap on, or constitutional to slap on a tractor on a car. The Supreme Court comes out with Jones and says you need a search warrant to do that. Every single officer that, that put on a track on a vehicle prior to that would be entitled to qualified immunity. You can't have a city simply pay every single time the Supreme Court comes out with a new constitutional law. If you're talking about police accountability, that's different than a qualified immunity. Right? You can't keep confusing these things with buzzwords and, and non-substantive conversations about very difficult issues that honestly can't be answered in a minute. Thank you. Thank you very much for asking want to thank the candidates for your uh, professionalism and your respectfulness to each other. And we're going to have our closing remarks now. Closing remarks again. We're done by the lot by Commissioner Joe Dane. And first up is Mr. Chihuahua. You have three minutes. I will not take the full three minutes. Um, first of all, I want to thank everybody for being here. I think this is a very important discussion and process that we are going through to elect the next district attorney. My one request to you is to vote, right? Get people that you know to vote, right? It is, it is absurd in this country and in this county that in the primary, 25% of, of the electorate may decide who is the next district attorney, right? We, we can have substantive conversations about meaningful issues that impact this county. Lobbying insults back and forth between these two is not a substantive conversation that is worth having. Right? We need to talk about real things and real problems that this county is facing. Right? I, we put out pictures of a horrible scene in uh, Los Angeles and a beautiful scene in Orange County and suggest that Gaston and Pete Harden are responsible for the horrible scene in, uh, in LA and that Todd Spencer is responsible for the beautiful beach scene in Orange County. That is not a meaningful conversation about issues that we are facing here. Right? The idea of uh, you know Pete Harden lobbed back in Todd Spencer that he's bought and paid for um, by the police unions. That's not a substitute conversation about what and how we should treat political donations. Right? Half the people think Todd Spitzer is bought for by the police union. Half the people think uh, Pete Harmon is paid for by uh, uh, Gaston and George Soros. Right? Those are not meaningful conversations about what is going on in this country and in this county. Right? At the end of the day, that is one of the primary reasons why I'm not taking political donations of any source. Right? Money disbreeds trust. Right? We need to have independent unbiased officials that can make decisions and ensure that the community, even when they don't fully agree with, at least understands why decisions are made. I do look forward to having additional conversations in the future, and please, please, even if you don't vote for me, vote. Thank you. Last four years, uh, Todd Spitzer has entirely lost the trust of this community. What do you care about? Women's rights, integrity, uh, transparency, 
a safe working environment, crime, homelessness. Homelessness is up over 40% during Todd Spencer's time in office. Homicides are at a 22 year high. It's up, crime is up across the board at higher levels in Orange County than it is in LA. He wants to blame George Gascon for the rise in crime in LA, but doesn't want to take responsibility himself for the rise in crime in Orange County. The buck never stops with him, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he has failed on all fronts. What has he succeeded at? Nothing. Why would we trust him for another four years? It's time for a change. It's time for real leadership instead of showmanship. And that's why I bring to the table. Thank you very much for the discussion. Absolutely, it's not time for a change. It's time to keep Orange County the way it is. Beautiful, crime-free, clean, no graffiti, no potholes, not homeless living on every single intersection. When I was county supervisor, we cleared the riverbed of all the homeless that were living near Angel Stadium. We built, a home, we built them a homeless shelter. We did it with humanity and dignity. And the fact of the matter is your entire team, Pete, Max Amos here, he's your team. He's George Gascon's team. We don't need change in Orange County. You're not from Orange County. You didn't grow up here. I spent 30 years here. My wife and I raised our children here. We care about the schools. We care about our community. We care about free speech. We don't allow and associate with hecklers and people who are irresponsible and mean, okay? The fact of the matter is you did a video and you, you videotaped yourself to law enforcement saying, I love law enforcement. I will support the police. But you've taken money from Smart Justice Pack after you said you wouldn't. Smart Justice Pack is associated with George Soros. He's funded all the DAs that have taken over. St. Louis, Philadelphia, New Orleans, San Francisco, Los Angeles. You are absolutely a George Gaston clone. You believe in everything he does. No bail, no misdemeanors, no juveniles prosecuted as adults, not attending parole hearings, no death penalty. You even want to dissolve our gang injunctions. Do you understand what that means to young people and communities who are plagued by gang members? Do you understand how hard we have fought to keep our community safe and let kids have opportunities to get out of the barrio? And you want to end all that. Shame on you, Pete. I, you literally, your policies make me sick to my stomach. And I am telling you, I have fought for 30 years to protect this county. I have been in the courtroom, I've stood up, I've said for the people. And every defense attorney who's here tonight knows I play by the rules, I give discovery, I open up, I tell you everything. I've never cheated, I've never had a conviction overturned. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, it is all at risk. Hold up your, I don't care, hold up. It doesn't matter to me. Let me tell you, your supporters, Pete, are literally confined to this room. Because I'm everywhere all over this county, and you know what people want? They want to be safe. They want their kids well-educated. They want to be able to earn a living, and they don't want to jeopardize by you. You'd be the worst thing that would happen to Orange County. We don't want change. We want to keep Orange County the safest large county in California, and the have five of the ten safest cities. We have so much to be proud of, but the Anaheim City Attorneys are over here fighting every single Mr. day. Mr. Spencer, thank you very much. God bless you.
Mr. Jacobs, you have three minutes. Thank you. I love how you close them. <laughs> Excuse me. Give me a couple seconds back, please. I want to get back to the Robo Showcase. Get back to some nuts and bolts and back to your... Okay, uh, you talked... I talked in my opening about the, the lack of a victim. This is, by the way, no, this is a serious case, okay? The Robichaux case is a serious case. It's a serial rape case. It's about as serious as they, serious as they get next to a homicide. Okay, what happened in the reinvestigation by Mr. Spitzer? That's really important. It's really important because there was none. There was none. You cannot prosecute a rape case without talking to the victim. The problem with talking to the victim that Mr. Spitzer has is you're going to get evidence of guilt. You're going to get evidence of guilt. That's what, you, that's what these cases are about. It's all about the victim and what happened to her. You cannot reinvestigate a case. You can't evaluate it unless you talk to the victim. And how do I know that? I've done seven or eight of them. I've done serial rape cases. I know what it takes. And the key thing is the victim. You can go, you can, you can analyze all the circumstantial evidence that is exculpatory and try and say that that's a problem. You can say, well, I don't have rape kits. I don't have videos. I don't have, uh, I don't have the photos that I want. The victim can't remember everything. Well, of course she can. She was drugged. That's part of the offense. And he forgot something. There's a jury instruction. It's really important. It says the testimony of one witness who you believe is sufficient to prove any fact or set of facts. So you go in there and the victim doesn't have to recall everything. And it's really important. This case is important. And you know what he did at his press conference? He apologized. He apologized to a serial rapist and his assistant. Can you believe that? I am in shock and astounded. I have never heard of a prosecutor doing anything like that. He apologized to a serial rapist after he fixed it. He fixed the investigation to make sure that there wouldn't be a case. He undermined it, he took away the investigator, and he took away he took away the first attorney who was more experienced. It's interesting, in judges, if you read it, you go online, you can read uh, what the judge wrote, Judge Greg Jones, he took apart every single issue that Mr. Spitzer had with the case, and he said the investigator did nothing wrong, okay? I have to be honest with you, okay? This is probably the most gutless and corrupt destruction of a case that I have ever seen or heard of in my entire career, okay? And there will be consequences, okay? There will be co consequences. You can't do what he did to a case. You can't do it. I have some, another case I want to tell you about real quickly. I have a friend named Mary Walton. Mary's son was killed, he's 26 year old, he was killed in 2005 at a party, he was shot in the face. It seemed like a clear cut Case of Jacobs, I'm very sorry, but your time is up. Okay, you have to come ask me about that. <laughs> right. Mr. Chairman, if you want to stick around, you guys are all welcome to meet with them. I thought they would like to do it. I do want to thank all four candidates. I want to thank you for being here. I also want to thank you.